big tech has at least 2,000 pieces of data on you. 2,000 pieces of data. So that means they know your medications, where you shop, what you search for, where you go, the medications you're on, your mother, your spouse, your best friend, your brother. Nobody knows as much as big tech knows about you. My guest today is Jane Hoffman. Jane is a senior fellow of Harvard University's Advanced Leadership Initiative. She has served many roles in government and civic affairs, including at the United Nations, New York City, and state governments. Our latest book is Your Data, Your Billions, Unraveling and Simplifying Big Tech. Jane's book is a guide to using everyday tech from Google searches and Amazon to GPS and Facebook with eyes wide open. I recently sat down with Jane and we talked about how big tech knows all your secrets and sells them to the highest bidder, why it matters, and how to protect yourself and your most precious commodities, your identity and privacy. Jane, thanks so much for coming on the show. I was looking forward to it since we first spoke last week, and I'm so happy you're here. Thanks so much for having me, Charles. Okay, folks, the name of the book is Your Data, Their Billions, Unraveling and Simplifying Big Tech by Jane S. Hoffman. And I'm going to hold mine up, too. We can do a double hold. There you go there. For all those people who, those three people who watch a podcast and not listen to it, you now see our two copies of it including my <laughs> wife, who listens to the podcast by watching YouTube. All right. Go, Mrs. Mizrahi. Oh, yes, ma'am. Um, okay. So, Jane, you, first of all, what made you write this book? Well, seriously, it was anxiety. So I was, I'm at Harvard. I'm a fellow at Harvard where I study technology, and I was taking a class on digital platforms. And I thought, before I take this class, let me go to the library and sort of read up on it in a very Harvard way. You read about the subject before you take the class. And I couldn't find a book that really unraveled and simplified big tech and the digital platforms. And I couldn't find anything out there that was really accessible and democratized the information in a way that everybody could understand it. So it sort of sat in the back of my mind. And I thought, you know, maybe I'll create that book. And here we are. Love it. So you wrote this book and, you know, the more I got to read it, uh, it really is like a um, really a, a primer for what big tech is, because you break down a lot of things, where your personal data goes, why privacy is important, what Facebook, Google, Amazon, Apple, Microsoft, what they do with your data. So were you trying to attract, what, a 50-plus-year-old audience or people who are technophobes or have no idea or what? Exactly, Charles. I think people use technology but might be a little bit afraid of it, or they see technology advancing at such a fast clip that they can't keep up. And what this book can do is ground you, gives you everything you need to know but we're afraid to ask. No question is too dumb. No insight is too small. This tells you everything you really need to know. Okay, and a lot of what you need to know here is really frightening. You know, I think we don't realize there are so many pluses with technology. You can order your Tide on Amazon and it gets delivered the next day. I'm not subtracting from the pluses. There are a lot of advantages to the digital marketplace, but there are a lot of minuses too. And we have to think about that and we have to think about it in its totality. You know, when I got on Google, I think back, I don't know, when did they start Gmail? I, I was one of the, I remember as soon as I saw it because I was reading about Google 
as a company in 2004 or five, maybe even earlier, maybe 2002, about the whole algorithms and the keywords. And I said, holy smokes. I, I wish I was smart enough to buy the IPO, but I bought it a few years later. But uh, at $85. That's still a pretty so, good investment. Yeah, yeah we st I still own it. I have my family. We own, I just keep buying Google every time I see it traded a, 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 an yeah. attractive price. It's, it's now, so do you, did you buy Facebook? No. Because that's really taken a hit. No, 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 no. So uh, I didn't quite understand how Facebook, I, I didn't quite understand the, in, the enduring competitive advantage. I did quite understand it with uh, Google because I was using it for my business. And every time mm -hmm. someone clicked, it cost me money. And I saw we, back in 07, 06, 07, we started to use, um, I think Bing was coming out at the time, Microsoft's yeah. uh, search engine. And Microsoft threw billions of dollars. Of it. And they even paid you at the time to use Bing. You got paid right. money for something. And I said, my gosh, this is a business where even when they pay you, people don't even want to use it. They want to use the competitor. And then I think I started buying Google in 2010, 2011, and uh, I kept adding throughout the years. So I'm pretty happy. Um, well, I'm sure it's been a very fine investment. Part of why Google works is because you trust its results. Imagine if you typed into Google Italian restaurant near me and you got a Japanese restaurant. Right. Google, you trust Google's information. And the fact that you trust its information gives a lot of its value because everybody uses it because they know it's right. Right. And when I first signed up for a Gmail account, because at the time there was, um, I had Yahoo and then I had Sprynet and I had all these... And I saw Gmail, and it was, first of all, simple, easy. I liked it. It made all the sense in the world to me. But I realized right at the get-go, because I understood the keyword search thing. And by the way, back in the day, I'm sure you remember, when you had email accounts, they only give you like 10 megabytes of, of, of uh, storage. And right. you had to start deleting stuff, clean out your yeah. spam, clean out your thing. I said, ugh. And here was, wow, unlimited. I remember the first thing I said, there has to be a catch. And then the catch was they get to read every single email, see everything I use, and know everything about me. But I want to tell you, Jane, I didn't care because I said, you know, they're giving it to me for free. There has to be a cost, and the cost is my privacy. So tell me why you don't care. Well, at the time, I didn't care because I didn't know much about it, and I figured, you know, what are they gonna, what are they gonna do? Just market me? You know, I was in the marketing business from from the perspective of uh, mailing lists and data and all that. So I totally got it. I totally understood. And back in the day, it was um, it was buying the data. Literally, it, you, you're buying mailing lists and stuff like that uh, for certain demographics. So I figured, you know, back in 04, 05, I'll say, what's, so they'll market me. They'll target me to things. I didn't care. I didn't know. I really know how. So if I'm interested, they see I'm interested in, I don't know, building birdhouses, they'll send me. They'll send me stuff about birdhouses. I was cool with that. So, so I understand why you might have been comfortable with that, but there's an enormous downside to losing privacy. And I think the concept of privacy changes with demographics. So a 15-year-old might have a different sense of privacy than a, maybe a 50-year-old, because 15-year-olds are creating this beautiful curatorial visual history of perfection on Instagram. And maybe a 50-year-old is in some Facebook groups of like-minded people, you know, people who like knitting, people who like mystery novels. But there's a downside to losing our privacy. Big tech has at least 2,000 pieces of data on you, 2,000 pieces of data. So that means they know your medications, 
where you shop, what you search for, where you go, the medications you're on, your mother, your spouse, your best friend, your brother, nobody knows as much as big tech knows about you. And that that information can actually be used against you in some ways at some point. Right now, you feel the liberty of it, but there's a downside to it. Oh, no, no. Look, I'm totally with you. I, you know, there was, there was what I knew about invasion of, when I knew about privacy in 2004 or so when Gmail first started and what we know about today, I definitely. You know, you write in your book also that uh, Google started scanning emails from 2004 to 2017 in order to personalize your ad experience. I said, all right, that's cool. I didn't mind that. Uh, and then all of a sudden they came out with uh, Google Calendar, uh, every search I made, then Google Docs, <laughs> and then the photos. And then, you know, it mm -hmm. became like, wow. So Google, Facebook, and Microsoft, as you mentioned here, know my name, my gender, my birthday. Facebook knows my physical address, my email address, my phone number, what devices I use, income level, race, political views, education, religion. And I remember back in the day when the uh, Ma Bell was around, you a listing in the phone book. Everyone had 411, they would call and get that. And you had to pay yeah. to opt out of that where yeah. it was unlisted. And that was just yeah. your name and your address. And a phone I remember number. as a single woman in New York City, yeah. you didn't want to be listed. So right. you you were not listed. You had an unlisted number. Right. And you put the letter D or you put your first initial so no one would know it's a woman. And the joke was yeah. everyone knew that anyone put Jay Hoffman was a woman, you know. Right. So so what what changed? I'm not talking about the side of big data because we could talk about that in just a moment. But what changed in you and I and our perception of how, or really, let me just talk about me, how I went in 2004, I said, so what, I'll get some focused ads about my interests, to now where everything is known about me. What changed in, in society that makes this so dangerous? Well, I think people are starting to realize that privacy has value, that privacy has meaning in our lives. There's something to being keeping some things personal that no one should know. And what's changed is we've seen the downsides. So for instance, one day you may be trying to get a job, say a guy's trying to get a job and he takes Prozac and they can filter for that. Okay, we don't want anybody who's taken Prozac because they're uh, mentally unstable and a health risk. So they can filter for that. Or we don't want anybody who's divorced. But you, you might not be able to get a job or you, you could be misidentified. You know, uh, I know a mystery writer who was Googling how to kill someone. So now big tech thinks she's a murderer, but she was just trying to do research for her book. I don't know if you saw in the New York Times yesterday, actually, on the cover, a guy had taken pictures of his child's groin to send to a doctor and he got tagged as a pedophile lost all his technology access. He, he was a technologist, so he knew how to get around it, but he, he lost all his technology access because he was mislabeled. You know, when you're having a heart attack and the EMT can access all your information, that's very valuable to have the data. When you're an EMT and selling that information to a tabloid, not so much. Okay, I'm with you. I'm totally with you. But let's break down what you, what you just brought up. So the first part, screen or filtering me for Prozac or, or other medications I might take. Is that happening today or that's something that could happen? 
I don't have proof that it's happening today. I see it as something that could happen. Okay, so it's... Yeah, go ahead, I'm sorry. If we shifted to an authoritarian regime, that information could be used against you. We could have social credit scores like they have in China. You could identify people through what they're doing online. Okay, so I, I, I hear you. I hear you, and I respect that opinion. But we don't have an authoritarian government at this point. And if we did, that would be problem number four. You know, that wouldn't be my top problem. <laughs> you know, tanks rolling through the streets and, you know, having stormtroopers at my house, that's problem one. Knowing what meds I'm on, I don't really care. But okay, let's put that aside for a second. So other than that, yes, the data's out there. And look, look what the government has on us, right? On every one of us. Uh, back in the days of Herbert Hoover, the files that were kept on individuals. Uh, Big tech files. has more information I, I on you than Okay, that. that's fine. That's fine. I'm not talking about more or less. I'm just talking about someone has information. Someone has in personal information about me that I would never dream that they know about me. Right? Okay, that's fair. Good. Let's move on for a sec. So I, I do hear you, and I do hear you, and I respect that. But it's not there yet. It's not there. Authoritarian, big brother, okay, in different forms, different things. It's not really impacting my life. Now we're seeing something here that you just brought up where, where uh, a father took a picture of a child or even pictures of kids in baths. I, I, you know, my, my, my daughter once sent me a picture of her kids in the bath, my grandkids. I said, do me a favor, don't ever do that again. I never want to be tagged. She goes, no. And then my son told me, no, it's only if, he, if it's previously listed, if it looks like something. Google had something. I don't know what it was, where if they matched it up to a known, um, it wasn't as easy as just taking a picture of a, an innocent child, you know, one of my grandkids in the bathtub. That wasn't it. it. It was some sort of matchup with a file. But put that all aside for a second. Bottom line. You don't have to use this. You're, you're, we're, getting, we're getting Google's services, and I'm taking the other side of the coin, where I saw, I forgot where I saw it, a study which basically said that they ask people, how much would you use for Google services if there was a charge? Right, to look up how the Met's doing, uh, how many people live in Wyoming, how many moose there are in Canada, all these kinds of things. And I saw something that said it's close to sixteen dollars or $17,000 a year that people would be willing to pay. Not that they would pay it, but they'd be willing to pay. So let me ask you this, Jane. We're getting, on the other hand, so much free stuff. I mean, Google G-Docs, Google Sheets, the calendar, the contacts. Oh, that's cost me zero. I remember back in the day, I used Act, and it cost me $1,000 for the software, and it didn't do a tenth of what Google does. So isn't there a balance there? Like, why can't we say, well, don't use it? You could say don't use it. I mean, you're not you're not going to like this, Charles, because I have a sense of your political views. But what if there was a free service like NPR or PBS of Google? So it was the government and it was free, but your ads, your data didn't get bought and sold and you didn't get pushed ads. What would be wrong with that? You wouldn't get pushed ads. I, I don't know. I don't I don't really have a problem with that. I really don't. I, you know, I want to tell you, I, uh, I look, I don't have any secrets. I don't, I don't do any, hopefully I don't do any bad things that people know about. And even things I do, I hope aren't bad enough that people would say, oh, this guy does, you know, let's go, go in his background. I, I, I don't know. I don't think of those things. I really don't. I don't see that as a threat, but apparently you do. Well, I'll give you some other examples. So in Tampa, Florida, the police analyzed data of kids and they tried to predict what they called pre-criminal behavior. 
there's no such thing as pre-criminal behavior, right? You commit a crime, you committed a crime, but there's no such thing as proven criminal behavior, but you were getting D's and F's in school. So they went to your house and they hassled you and they wrote up some tickets because according to an algorithm, one day you might commit a crime. Do you think that's fair? Gee, you know, that's a really a loaded question. For kids, no, but I will say for terrorist activities or things that could harm the public, you know, I see I, if there was an algorithm that could predict the next uh, suicide bomber crashing a plane into a building, yeah, I'd want to know about that. I hear you. I hear you. But we're talking about kids who are getting D's and F's in school. Actually, oh. the reporter who did that story in Tampa Bay won the Pulitzer Prize. There are other incidences where it seems like a privacy violation, but maybe it wouldn't bother you. So a guy in the Midwest, his daughter was 16 years old. She was getting mailers from Target about having a baby. I don't know if you saw this in the book. I did see that, yeah. Yeah, I saw that in the book, and I remember at the time uh, reading about it, you know. Right. Continue to tell it. I didn't uh, didn't quite say uh it. I'll tell your listeners the story. So this teenage girl was pregnant unbeknownst to her father, but Target knew before she showed because she had been searching prenatal vitamins and cute baby clothes. And he went, the father went to the manager of the Target store. This is a true story. And, and yelled at him, why are you sending my daughter all this pregnancy stuff? She's not having a baby. She's in high school. He went home. He found out his daughter was, in fact, pregnant. He went and he apologized to the manager of the store. So that's an incidence of where information gets out maybe before you want it out. Well, if there was a waste of, you know, fine child abusers and and uh, and domestic violence uh, prior to the situation by following thing, I, I think that's great. You think that's not a good idea? I'm not saying it's not a good idea to find domestic violence and to find terrorists. I think it's a great idea to find okay. terrorists. So we agree and on that, right? So child abuse. So, so, so child we, abuse. Yeah. So so yeah. Where, where, where's what's where, where do you see the problem? It's an ethical dilemma. It's very it's very hard to say not having privacy. If we live in a privacy free world, which is maybe where we're going. It'll be interesting to see what is privacy, what is intimacy, what it, what is the meaning of a personal relationship. If we're going to live in the metaverse, what is intimacy in the metaverse? You're an avatar. Mm-hmm. Are you going to use haptics to feel? What, what would it mean to climb a mountain? I mean, if we go totally digital, what does that mean for relationships? Okay, but but back up a bit. You you went off the cliff on that one. Just back up, just a just a hair. We were talking a few minutes ago about Tampa and you know, kids who might be doing some bad things. I countered by saying, you know, it's a loaded question because you don't want kids. There's no such thing as pre I don't know who did this. Who actually went ahead and got this data and where they get the data from? They they got the data from Big Tech. They had an algorithm and it was a sheriff's, sheriff's how, office in Pasco County. How, how easy is So any sheriff's office in any boomtown in America could basically go and get it's what? not hard to get data on people. No, you how, could get how was this done? How was this done? Was there, there, were, there was no background to that? They just happened to say, let's try to get this data? Or this was some big deal going on behind the scenes? I don't know the details of the deal behind the scenes, but it was more elaborate than let's just get data. It's not that easy. So there must have been something happening, right? This is because, you know, if, if so, every... Yeah, but I don't think getting a D or an F in school means you're going to commit a crime. Okay, put that aside. I'm not, I agree with you. But my point is, is that... 
if it was that easy, and I think there's parts of the story that we might not be might not know because if it was that easy to go to big data and get this kind of information and uh, you know go to the next step, I think there had to be something more to it because people throughout this country, you know, district municipalities will be doing more and more of this. I don't. Why do we do this with with people who young people who are possibly uh, school shootings to see their stuff? I, I think that would be a great use of it. But I, I don't know this case, so let's let's move aside from that. But if, if we can use if we can use data, and I just ask this as a question to you, I, I know your job and what you do is basically asking the good questions and saying it's ethical. And I'm with you, and I'm totally with you. I really am. I mean that sincerely. But let's be practical for a moment. <laughs> let's be practical because it's it's an ivory tower kind of thing. It, yes, it, but whenever somebody says I'm with you, I'm totally with you. You know they're not right. No, I'm with you to the point of you could ask the question. Where I'm, we're not with you is where does it carry out? You know, if, if you can tell me that there is an algorithm that can find the next 9-11 terrorists or there the is next, not an algorithm okay. that can find the next 9-11 but, but terrorists. If, if there is something, go ahead. You can't use algorithms to predict human behavior. You can predict buying patterns. But humans are unpredictable by their very nature. If you want to use technology to predict human behavior, you're the next step of technology. I, I see it, but that's really Big Brother. That's not libertarian. But aren't we having that already? Isn't Big Brother all around us already? Doesn't the government know so well, much about us? Well, they're buying and selling our data and making money off of your data. So what I propose is instead of them making billions, they, those are trillion-dollar companies. That's 12 zeros, right, right. trillions of dollars. Why don't you get a data dividend for your data? Okay. Why don't you get a monthly check for your data? Good. And, and why don't they charge me? Why don't they charge me for using their services, which are all free? Right. You're cool with that? You're cool with paying for I'm, Google? I'm, I'm okay with paying for it if I got a data dividend. And what's 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 that data dividend? How do you how do you come up with that data dividend? Well, it would be based on your searches, how many times you search and what you search for. But I have a couple of sources. I have one source who says a data dividend for someone who earns under $198,000 a year, which was the COVID relief cutoff, could be $50 a month. This is not going to alleviate poverty, but why shouldn't you get a piece of the pie when they're making billions and trillions off of your data? Okay, and, I, and, I, and I'll give you my answer because they're providing a service that I can choose to use or not use, and I'm gaining tremendous benefit by using Google, by using Gmail, by using uh, all their services, which in the past I remember back in the day would cost you know, hundreds and maybe thousands of dollars to buy the software and buy the floppy disks and you had to load them and updates and this. I get, I get, I don't have to use it, but I do. So you're going to give me $50 as a dividend. And so they'll charge me $300 a month. How, how's that? Do you think business is just going to pay out money without charging on the other end? No, what what could happen is this new international corporate tax, that money could go back into people's pocketbooks instead of the treasury. Mm hmm. And do you think that's possible? I, I don't know if it's possible, but it's an idea worth thinking about. Sometimes policy ideas are worth thinking about to move the needle. Okay, so let's think this through for a sec. So basically you're saying that, let's use Facebook just for an example. Facebook pays a dividend to Jane Hoffman based on how many times they sold your data or the percentage, I don't know, some type of percentage, I guess, right, of how much money mm -hmm. they made up of your data? Right. Okay, and every month they're going to write a check to you. Right. And still at the same time, provide the services that Facebook does for free. 
Well, they might not write a check to you. The U.S. government write, might write a check to you. They're going to write a check to the U.S. government in taxes. And then the government writes the check to you instead of the government keeping the money. It's a little different than what you stated. Wow. I'd like to see that happen. Money's going to go to the government. They're going to hold on to it instead of pay, pay you money. So It's if, like an IRS refund. Yeah. It's like an IRS rebate, COVID rebate. Mm-hmm. And that's coming. So, so you don't see any downside to big tech or any, any private company or any public company uh, advancing and spending more money, knowing that they're going to pay more taxes uh, to this dividend that people are going to get. And the government's not going to charge any reason. Char- government's not going to charge a VIG on that, right? They're just going to pass through. Time will tell, but typically (laughs) regulators are seven to nine years behind the innovators. And what's happened is the Davids have become the Goliaths. So they've gobbled up all the important new technology and they're no longer the small innovators. They're now giant innovators, but the regulators can't keep pace with the innovators. Typically they're behind. Always. Right. Yeah. hundred percent. I agree with that. You know, they're, they're behind the eight ball and well, does this factor in lobbies, uh, the tech lobbies, uh, speaking to congressmen and paying off congressmen and senators with money to make sure this never sees the light of day? Well, tech lobby is really, really powerful. Yeah. But social movements are powerful, too. Uh, I don't know, Jane. I don't know. Maybe. I know. We're going to just have to maybe. agree to disagree, yeah, Charles. Yeah. I don't know. I live in the real world, and I don't know. That's <laughs> just, you know, when money talks. And it, look, carried interest, right? You see the news, the big news. No matter what, Democrats and Republicans, they could not get rid of carried interest. And carried interest is really nothing more than a loophole for rich people and private equity to make money. And both sides of the aisle couldn't agree to that because carried interest, the private equity lobbies paid enormous amounts of money to make sure that it doesn't die. And every time it keeps coming up, it can't die. So I'm just thinking if they can never get rid of carried interest, which is really nothing more than a tax shelter or tax evasion for the wealthy, especially private equity and hedge funds, I don't know how this is going to ever come to be. I really don't. It, it might not come to be, but it's worth talking about. Sometimes right. ideas are worth exploring. I'm with you. Whether agree or disagree it's worth exploring their new ideas it's important to think about it it's important to think about technology's influence on our lives its importance to our lives and where we see it going in the future okay i i, I agree with that and I'm, I'm just saying that there's also a flip side to that uh, technology especially usage of you know, uh, amazon google facebook microsoft provides such an amazing, it's, it levels the playing field be, between someone who, who has no access to libraries, to information. Now you have the world at, your, at literally your finger, the world at your fingertips on your iPhone. It's just like, imagine 30, 40 years ago, someone said there would be a genie that would sit on your shoulder and any question you would ask, you could have an answer. It's just unbelievable. And it costs me well, zero. It will change the educational system because the educational system used to be about memorizing information. Right. Now that we have information and you can access it, it should be about analyzing and synthesizing information because we don't need to memorize it anymore. We have it accessible. Okay. I, I'm, I'm with you. You know, Wikipedia, I remember, you know, my kids when they were in high school and teachers wouldn't let them use it because it was free and they said, no, it's not accurate, this and that. But now Wikipedia is is... I remember my mother, every every week she used to go to to a local supermarket and they used to get one Funk and Wagner's, Funk and Wagner, I'm not. Wagner, Funk and Wagner. 
fucking waggled. Yeah, their 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 uh, encyclopedia, and it was like a dollar ninety nine. And every weekend, that was our set. The rich kids yeah. had World Book, and the even richer kids had Britannica, which yeah. no one can understand. We had the free stuff. You know, we had the stuff that you— Now everybody has an encyclopedia at their fingertips yeah. that's updated as events happen, which is free. Right. What do you do with the information? Okay. What would you do with the information different—what what, what information? The information I get or the information that's provided? The information that's provided is we have to use the information in a different way. Okay. Agreed. But I'm just saying— it doesn't cause, I happen to donate towards Wikipedia because I just, I, I feel it's a tremendous, tremendous resource for everyone. So I'm more than willing to pay. But, you know, I'm just saying, Jane, that I hear everything you're saying. And I'm just saying that there is a, there's a, there's a, it's a seesaw. If you're going to take from here, it's going to give somewhere else. You, you just, it's not going to be just a, a line item cross out. If big tech I starts charging, what about that? What about that? It's it's all of a sudden, and now all of a sudden people say, oh, well, look, they're charging, and the poor can't afford it. Look at the way it's only an elitist thing. How, how do we win on this conversation? I, I don't think there is a winner. I don't think there is a loser. It, they're just new ways to think about technology. We have to right. think about privacy. Is it a luxury good? Should privacy be a luxury good, something that you have to pay for? Or should everybody have access to privacy? Should we live in a world where technology dominates our lives? And if so, what are the advantages and what are the disadvantages? I think we'd be a lot better off with 10 Amazons than one, but I don't know how we would get there, but it's something worth thinking about. Okay, so there is, uh, I remember, I don't remember it actually happened. A few years ago, uh, I was on a, a, yeah, DuckDuckGo. And right, constri- DuckDuckGo does not spy and sell your data. Right, privacy. DuckDuckGo is like Amazon, uh, Amazon, Google. It's privacy. It's if folks, if you just go to it, DuckDuckGo.com. Privacy simplified. Join tens of millions of people who rely on DuckDuckGo's free all-in-one privacy solution to help take control of their online privacy. So I could certainly use this. Certainly use. Mm-hmm. I have never used it. Is this? It's actually very good. It's okay. So what it, it is? It very good in the sense of it's better than or equal to a Google search, or is this somewhat less than that? No, it's equal to a Google search. It's just your data is not getting bought and sold. So okay. you have privacy. Okay. Now anyone could use this, right? You don't have to see. You could sign. Yeah. Okay. My question is, if someone is concerned about their privacy, shouldn't they be using this? Yes, or they should get a VPN, a virtual private network. So you pay a monthly fee, $5, some, some of them are $20. If you want privacy, you should really have a VPN, a virtual private network, okay. and you pay a monthly fee for that. Okay. Do you use DuckDuckGo or use Google? I use DuckDuckGo. Okay. And you, I'm sure everyone out there who is concerned about privacy uh, would want to use this because their online data, their data is not sold. And you searching for how to build a birdhouse, uh, no one, there is none, nothing going back to me is going to show that I search for that. So I'm not going to get no, ads for there's wood. no difference. Pardon? There's no difference. If you looked on Google or DuckDuckGo. No, no I understand no that, but it's not going to come back to me, meaning I'm not going to get targeted ads or anything of how to, you know, how to buy, where to buy bird seed, uh, right. hammers, nails. You're not, a biography isn't going to be developed on you. Good. Right? right now, a biography is being developed on you with little pieces of information. He buys shoes in September. He buys pasta at the end of the day. There's right. a biography of you. 
DuckDuckGo doesn't have a biography. What other sites are there out there that 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 really really make your privacy yours? It's really DuckDuckGo is is the one you should think about and and getting a VPN. So if I got a VPN and I got DuckDuckGo, how much of my digital footprint is out there? Well, there's already so much out there on you. I mean, I should have done a little search before we met, but I didn't want to talk about you in that way. But I did that once before and the guy was um, surprised. But there's a lot of information on you already. So you can do that now and going forward on a go forward basis, you might um, have discrimination and privacy, but your past information is already out there. So the medications you take, your sexuality, where you travel, where you are every minute of every day is already out there. But on a go forward basis, it's worth thinking about. So if I wanted to scrub my whole entire footprint online, is that possible or impossible? No, no, not possible. So everything. That- I mean, people try and people will sell you services, but it would be very hard to scrub your entire history. Because be- every time you do something that there's a data broker buying and selling it in a millisecond. So every data broker would have to be contacted. The data, the information on you is already out there. You know, on Saturday night, he went to an Italian restaurant. So the Italian restaurant has the information, ways, if you used ways to get there. I mean, there's so many different layers of technology that are part of your decision-making process. So do you use Google Maps or anything like that when you go somewhere? Sure. And you're not concerned that they that Google at the end of the month sends you a timeline, which I thought was extremely freaky when I first got that, you know, an email once a month or whenever they send it where it showed me every location I was in of that. I said, that is really freaky. You know, it, that stuff, information has been used in child custody cases. Right. right. I remember when um, Easy Pass came out that I had a friend of mine who his brother uh, would say, they're watching you. They're going to know where you are. And I said, what the freak? You're paying your toll. You know, this is back, I don't know, 15 years, 20 years ago, whenever it came out, Easy Pass. And I said, if you're not doing anything wrong, who cares where you're traveling? But all these paranoid people have been proven right. <laughs> they weren't so paranoid. They were, they were, they're really futurists. Yeah. Well, I think the future holds some really interesting things for us. Maybe, uh, I always think innovation will win out in the end, and maybe there'll be some really interesting innovation around privacy. And I think there's a need. And when there's a need, sometimes technology, technology companies can fill it. So I could see that happening so that privacy becomes something that gets developed through technology that we all use. Yeah, it's a service. It could be a you know a monthly service or whatever that some private or public company comes out and says, okay, we're going to take the other side of the coin. And if there are a lot of more people like yourself who are concerned about privacy and the data that's being made, uh, maybe there will be a way that it could shut them down. You pay them. I don't know. They're paying through the government, the tax. I don't know about that, but. Uh, my thing is, if if the private sector comes up with some innovation, uh, would you be willing to pay for that? That'll sure. Your data? How much would you be sure. willing to pay? If you I'm bench- not sure. I'd have to think about it. Depends how good it is, how reliable it was, how sophisticated the technology is, okay, how let's, private. Let's assume, let's make believe, play with me here for a second. 
it's 90%, right? Nothing's going to be 100%. It can it scrub 90% of your pest and capture only 90%. Or whatever captures going forward, 90% of that will be socked away. So 10% of whatever, because let's be real, you know, using Google Maps and, and just, I don't think you can ever get out of that, right? There's going to be some trap which is going to catch some of your data. Agreed? I think just buying a yeah. newspaper, you know, yeah. online is going gonna, is gonna to find that. Okay. So if it was 90%, 90% good, would that, how much would you willing to pay for that? I really can't put a dollar value on it. Would it be worth $1,000 a month to you? Might be. Okay. Now you're a person of means, the way you work at Harvard. So let's put it this way. You have $1,000. What about the poor guy who doesn't? Well, that's what I'm saying. Should privacy really be a luxury good? Should it be something that you pay for? I mean, you can do things now to scrub your history and, you know, push the negative stories down on the search and positive. I mean, people do that. Reputation Tender does that. I mean, there are things that do that. But most of us don't have these, you know, negative things we're trying to hide. It's just a personal sense. And it's who we are psychodynamically. I mean, psychologically, you're... Privacy doesn't have great meaning to you. That's okay. Right, right. There's a freedom in that. I just, my concern, Jane, is this. And and tell me, you know, you could disagree with this. Uh, I see... uh, I see this as a trade-off. And and you you know, you're right. It might have... The pendulum might have swung to the other extreme where big data has much more leverage at this point. Look, am I comfortable with them having... There's a trust factor. I, I, you know, it's like, it's not going to be leaked, hopefully. Every search that I've ever made on Google is not going to, hopefully, will never be shown <laughs> because that'll be devastating. So, you know, we look at crazy things, like you mentioned, you know, how to murder or whatever it is. Or I once looked up uh, Air Force One uh, after watching the movie Air Force One. Uh, I was very, you have to, this years later uh, with Harrison Ford and Air Force One is hijacked. And, and I searched how to breach Air Force One. I, I am sure I want some CIA or, or some Secret Service database somewhere as a guy who looked up uh, how to breach Air Force One. I do understand the threats and I do understand that. But I'm just thinking it through. Uh, and you've spent a lot more time thinking about this. I think it'll just put those who are economically disadvantaged at an even bigger disadvantage because big tech is not going to stand still and just pay out money without looking for another way to recoup that money. And I think what I talk about in the book is not just policy prescriptions, you know, like reevaluating section 230. It's not just policy prescriptions. What the book is really about is technology and what it means in our lives and what technology is doing with your data. And are you aware of what technology is doing with your data? Okay, so now I read your book, right? I read your book. I'm a 61-year-old guy. I'm not 61, but I'm a 61-year-old guy. How old are you, Charles? You, you look it up online. So anyway, <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you look this up, right? So you, you read this. You read this book. You just, you just presented me with a, a lot of aha moments. And by the way, I do like the way you go in, in the first chapter or two to the invention of the internet. I had no idea that this was being discussed in 1920. That was like, wow, I got to do more research on that uh, after, um, after this call. Uh, I thought that was really fascinating. It was mapped out over 100 years ago in 1920 by pioneers uh, Harry Nyquist and Ralph Hartley at Bell Labs. They did amazing things at Bell Labs. 
It's like they those, really did. those people they must really be did. aliens. You know, they just kept coming up with just, I don't know, something was in the water there. They're just unbelievable. And, okay, I read this book, and you tell me so many amazing things, and you really scare the blank out of me. Now what? Now what do you want me to do? What action do you want the reader to do? Well, actually, I don't think it scares people. I think it's informing them, but maybe not scaring them. But I think it gives you a roadmap for the future, and it, it allows you to look at your technology use in a broader and contextual way. You contextualize your technology use. Okay, I'm using technology. I know I'm doing this, and I know this is what's happening. I'm okay with that, or I'm not okay with that. But it gives you the knowledge to make your own decisions. So big tech isn't making the decisions for you, and government isn't making decisions for you. You're making the decisions based on the information you've read. Do you know a lot of people, a lot of your colleagues uh, uh, that use uh, uh, DuckDuckGo as opposed to Google? I do. So you, you're in a circle where many people, because I mention it to certain people and they have no idea. But then if I go to more libertarians or uh, uh, people who are concerned, uh, they would they, they look at me and they go, you got to be crazy to be using Google and Facebook and all. So uh, I, don't, I don't know what the how many people do use it as opposed to Google, but... Do you see that as something that can possibly gain traction as time goes on? Like yes, I think I, it is gaining traction. It's gaining market share. It's gaining market share. And maybe because I'm in circles where people are always talking about technology and the new thing and, and how people are adjusting and the sociologic importance of the technology and how it's changing our lives, changing our relationships. So maybe I'm, that's what, you know, somebody else who watches a lot of basketball is talking about the Celtics. Right. I'm a little more boring. Right, 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 right. Um, okay. Maybe we should just talk about the future a little bit. Yeah, so I, want to, I want to talk about Chapter 7 because that made me smile. Chapter 7 in your book talks about Tomorrowland and not Disney. It talks about a whole new world of you walk the reader through augmented reality and a whole bunch of things that seem like pretty good stuff. You want to just touch on a few of those points with the short time we have? Sure. So maybe what happens in the future, instead of going to a concert, you have a holographic experience in your living room. So that performer, you can almost touch them and they're performing in your living room. You know, that's going to transform entertainment in some way. Some people would prefer never leaving their homes and having the performer perform the songs they want in their living room. There are also changes that might happen to our bodies. Now, this will be over you know, hundreds and thousands of years. But because we're going to be hunched over a lot, I found a study out of Oxford where we might have a bump on the back of our neck and our arms will be getting shorter and the digits, our fingers will be getting shorter because we're not using them in the same way. So I, they I wanna, see- I see that all the time with programmers. <laughs> they, they walk over with a hunch, they have a little belly and I don't know if their digits are smaller, but they definitely look different than the average person. So I totally agree with you on that. Right. So so there are body changes, there are changes in the way we entertain and maybe changes in the way we relate. So what does a relationship mean if you're living in the metaverse? You know, they're developing at Carnegie Mellon this haptic technology where you can touch in the metaverse because you can't right now you can't touch in the metaverse. What happens if you can feel in the metaverse and what is a feeling? You know, I just, what I just, is love? But I just what think... is sex? If you if, how is sex in the metaverse real sex? You know, I just think a, a lot of these things that you bring up, they're really great stuff, you know, and I think you've talked about the, the, the uh, hologram performing. What about the person who's bedridden 
or the person who uh, has disabilities and they can't get out of the house or people have psychological problems. What, what, what an amazing world that they right. can experience At your fingertips. Things. Yeah, and, and experience things that you and I take for granted, you know, riding yeah. a bicycle. They'll be able to mm-hmm. do that. You know, it's just... It, you know, so so the flip side of that is there are so many amazing, amazing things that 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 could be that could very well be. Right. But it, if you think about what brings joy, love, intimacy, uh, we don't really know what intimacy will be in the metaverse. It, you know, now so many of the kids are focused on the likes they get on their Instagram picture or how many friends they have on Facebook. But there's a really important study by a guy named Robin Dunbar. You can only really have relationships with about 115 people and know them and know a little bit well, about my, them. My number is way, way lower than that. <laughs> well, five good friends, 15 five special friends, 15 good friends, but the sort of the cap is 115. But yet people want to have 150 likes and 200 likes and I got 300 likes, but that's not the essence of a relationship. It's a click. It's different. Yeah. No, no, I'm with you. I totally got, but look at, look at um, 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 online dating and, and, um, and how I thought that was like crazy when I first heard about it years ago, but I know so many people who have met, you know, one of my sons uh, met his future wife on, 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 uh, online. And I said, wow, they both, I don't know which pro, which thing it was. I'm totally out of this, but, uh, they both swiped the right way. I don't know. They went on a date and it was, it was great. And it clicked. And I know, and I do know a lot of people who have been, I always had a problem meeting girls. I was, I, I was too shy to talk to them or I would talk to them, but I couldn't ask them for a date, but I think it would have done great on these things. I would have paid someone to take a good picture of me, but Well, it's so empowering for people who don't want to ask and don't want to wait to be asked, right? So for women, traditionally, the role was you waited to be asked. But with online dating, you don't have to do that. You can contact the person, they can contact you, and it's easier maybe to contact someone online. So, And it brings people together of different experiences and different backgrounds. The future of couples comes from the internet. It's like the couples that met through the internet, that number is jumping and it's beating out people that meet in person. Yeah. Beating in person is so difficult, especially during the past couple of years. Yeah. You know, and I don't, and you know what I love about it also, you know, when when my son was telling me about this is that you have to fill out something of all the likes and this, so right off the bat, there are so many, so many commonalities where you invest time and 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 money dating and just to find out by the third day they don't like dogs you know that's a that's a killer for me but here right off the bat there were so many things they can go right into uh, i just think it's, it's just fascinating and 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 the people that i know it worked they they got together well if you keep doing it it works i mean eventually you learn how to play the game but it's really i think it's really wonderful for gender equity what is gender equity? What does that mean? Well, the women don't have to wait to be asked. You can ask. Yeah. 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 No, I, I like that. I like that a lot. I like that a lot. And boy, if I was dating back in the, you know, if that was much easier, I'm a much better writer than I am face to face. So I could have been sending texts and, 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 <laughs> and, and girls could do the same thing back and forth. I don't, I totally see that. I totally yeah. see that. That really is. So technology is not good, bad. It's, it's how it's used. And, what it does for society and does for our privacy. Would you agree with that? Yeah, and it's what it means to you. 
what it means to me. And what does privacy mean to you? Well, I was talking about what technology means to me, but what privacy means is there are certain things that I don't want public. What, what and I want. Okay. What do you feel? I'm sorry to cut you off. Forgive me. Go ahead. You, you were saying, as I, you, there were certain things that you don't want. Public. And I think there are a lot of people like that, but they're not thinking in terms of privacy. They're thinking in terms of access to information. Okay. With the little time we have, what do you feel comfortable letting the world, I was saying the internet, know about you? Because I, I looked up, I looked you up, I read all about you and your husband and what you do and, and your job and everything about that. So I got a lot of information. It's right on a Wikipedia page, right? It's not, it's not too hard to find. Then I go on Amazon, I find out a whole bunch more about you. What do you feel, you're, what do you feel comfortable with letting the world know about you? And at what, when do you draw that line? I'm not sure I know where that line is for me personally, or even where it is for society. But I think of my writings as a view into how I think. And the book is a window into how I think and information that's mine, specific, my ideas. And that's a window into who I am. But you're cool. You looked at your Wikipedia page, right? I only saw it once, so I haven't seen it recently. <laughs> okay. So there's a lot of good stuff about you. I don't want, you know, let anyone look it up online. A lot of good stuff about you. And I used it before our meeting, before our conversation. Uh, I did this all because I wanted to get a good flavor of who you are and also to write your introduction where I could speak. I got a lot of information. I got a lot of footnotes. I got, I got a personal, personal life about you. I know who your daughter is. I know when she was born. I don't know. You feel comfortable with a lot of that? I'm not sure. All right, that's honest. I dig that. I totally dig that. Yeah. All right, beautiful. Um, look, you know, I, I definitely want to have you on the show a year from now because if, if you're okay with that, if you're saying I'm never going on the show again with this Mizrahi guy, but if you do agree, if you do agree, I'd love to have you on the show and we use this point in time as a benchmark and see maybe what, what all the fears that you have really come to fruition. And everything I said was like, wow, you're a nut. It didn't make any sense. You should have seen what was coming. And, and who knows? What, what's your, well, what's, well, just really quickly, what's your prognostication? Um, on privacy or technology or what? Both, both. Well, I think there's going to be a backlash. Uh, I think I, I happen to agree with you that the, the public, and look, it already happened with Apple, right? And, and just on that basis, where Apple really shut off and made it more, you have to opt in with the cookies and all. They killed Snap. Snap got nailed because Snap Technologies, they couldn't pass on. Facebook got hit hard in terms of what information, because they make it much harder now, Apple, uh, to get your data through third-party sources like Facebook and this. So we saw those companies came to a crashing halt. I forgot what the effect on, on Facebook was, but I know it destroyed Snap and, and Facebook's having problems. So I do see that, but I, I also see that, well, here's my procrastination on that. I'll give you, a, give, you a, give you a quick, without thinking too much about it. I think there is going to be a backlash, and I think it will be from government, uh, that there's going to be rules and regulations based on data, based on privacy. It will take time because, as you said, you said seven to nine years or so. I think they're 10, 10 years plus. I do remember the days back in the early 2000s where the government was going after Microsoft to get rid of Internet Explorer as being monopolistic. And 
by the time they got around to it, <laughs> already, you know, new, new, new uh, internet, um, um, uh, what do you call it, uh, browsers came out. So the government's always going to be behind the eight ball. But I do see, I don't know what that watershed moment's going to be, but it's going to be something where, um, where big techs, can, there's going to be some type of regulation on data. I, 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 don't, I don't know what it is, but I know it will be something because it can't keep going like this. It really can. It really can. In terms of privacy, perhaps every big tech company will have an opt-out where it really means opt-out. And if they don't- A lot of times now you opt out and you lose functionality. Yeah, there's, so a, there's like a payback, real. right, right, right. So if you do opt out, then forget about it. You know, you, you might as not well even try. But maybe there, there's something where you opt out and you get 95% of the services instead of, I don't know what they knock you out to. But it's like, I like those things, if you don't agree to this, you know, you can't even go forward. You know, but we look back in the day when the internet first came out, do you remember those, I think they still have them, when you used to put a piece of software on, 14 pages long of disclosure. Who the hell read that? And, you know, some comedian said, you know, on the 10th year, they're going to come and take your firstborn. You checked it. You said it was a, who reads that? No one read that. Some lawyer said you needed it. And what was that? It was a joke. It was a joke. Nobody reads any of the opt-in, opt-out information. But I think, I think you, are, you are correct in saying that at least the conversation started where people are saying, they don't have a choice. They, they, they know that something's up. Cookies, for example. We didn't even get into that. And you come up with a whole bunch of uh, a really good explanation, by the way, of what cookies are, not the eating kind, uh, and uh, how they track you and follow you and all sorts of different levels, which I think is really good. So th that's it in a nutshell. I, I think that there's going to be some type of pushback. It's going to be led by the public, some watershed event, and it's going to be some type of regulation where the consumer will be able to opt out, yet still get a large percentage, I don't know what it'll be, of the services or, or um, of, of the, that, the, that the provider provides, simply because I think the pendulum has swung so far in one direction with no pushback yet. And maybe this might be it. That's, that's, I don't know, would I have gotten a good mark if I went to Harvard on that one or not? I'll accept you in my class. <sighs> wow. Probably for the day and then throw me right out. All right. Beautiful. Uh, maybe for an hour. Definitely not a day. <laughs> no, I pushed it, right? Folks, the name of the book is, is Your Data, Their Billions, Unraveling and Simplifying Big Tech by Jane S. Hoffman. She brings up a lot of great questions that, like it or not, we're going to have to address. You're going to have to address. And in the meantime, if you really are concerned about your privacy, I'll put a link in for DuckDuckGo. And I'll also uh, put a link in for what a VPN is for many of you who have no idea that a VPN is a way to uh, shroud yourself. Would shroud yourself be a good, um, a good explanation of what a VPN is? It's a very creative explanation. Okay, that's good. So that'll keep me for two hours in your class, maybe. <laughs> but but it, it's, it's a VPN. They don't cost too much. How much is a VPN? A couple of 20, 30 dollars a month, ten dollars a month, summer twenty dollars a month. It's a right. monthly fee. So it's a way of of preserving your privacy, of keeping your privacy right. a gate card. So right off the bat, if someone would use DuckDuckGo and a VPN, they would lock knock out a large part, not a large part, but a good part. Huge, huge, a huge, huge. Part, yeah. So it's pretty yeah. simple. So people could do it today. They don't have to wait for government regulation or dividend checks or anything to that effect. They could start right now. They could. All right. Start your kids off this way. There's not a big file on them. Right.
Jane, thanks so much. I want to have you back on the show a year from now, and we'll see. Um, we'll we'll see how this progresses. Maybe only if we wear boxing gloves, Charles. Nah, we don't need that. We don't need that. <laughs> you, you hit much harder than I, and you know, I, I don't, that's okay. It's look as long as as long as we have a difference of 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 opinion, which is fine, and our principles are still more or less the same, right? We don't want to. Well, destroy I think it may, I think difference of opinion makes for it interesting dialogue yeah you could have went on any other show and they could have just read their your pr thing and said tell us about the book isn't it a great book great thanks great see you know, i said you know what let me read it and I, I agree with a lot of stuff you have but i have i don't have i don't disagree so much as i have problems with the actual implementation of it i don't see it happening in the real world you know i i do i do get it that in the ivory tower your job is to think of problems and how they'll impact society got that but on the real basic level of capitalism and how the system works and how government works and how lobbyists work, it's just, it, it is what it is. You know, it is what it is. The system we, we have, you know, that's it. All right, Jane, thanks so much. Folks, once again, the name of the book is Your Data, Their Billions, Unraveling and Simplifying Big Tech. When did this book come out, Jane? April. Oh, April. How's it doing? It's doing well. Really? Doing well. Editor's Choice on Amazon, Top 10 Nonfiction. Wow. Beautiful. So a lot of people are reading this and maybe they're just, you'll see DuckDuckGo just soar to the moon. How does DuckDuckGo make money? That's a whole nother conversation. You can't give me one line how they make money? Advertising. Advertising. So more or less, what are they doing, right? So they're paying, they're getting paid to get their stuff in front of you. Yeah. All right, cool. Jane, thanks so much for coming on the show. I greatly appreciate it. I enjoyed our conversation. Thank you so much, Charles. It was really fun. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Charles Mizrahi Show. If you're a new listener, welcome. If you've been listening for a while, we're glad to have you back. Either way, we'd love to know what you think of the show. Please leave a review if you listen on Apple Podcasts. Reviews make it easier for others to find the show. You can also see the video of the interview on The Charles Mizrahi Show channel on YouTube.